you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's sort of two themes, if you were paying attention closely to the lessons today, that come to the surface. There's the first one, which is about the, the magi, the wise men, and the gifts that they bring to Jesus. And there's this idea of Christ being the gift which is given into the world as well. And so there's this idea of a gift uh, that, we, that we resonate with today. And there's a second theme which pops up, which I think is one that we're going to actually focus a little more on today uh, with this reading from Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, Isaiah 60 was a passage which was written in far, far before Jesus came. And so sometimes we need to slow down a little bit and say, you know, how would a person during the author's time read Isaiah? So Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise and shine for your light has come. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So we read this today, and we go, oh yeah, that's a Christmas passage, right? Jesus Christ, the light of the world, comes into the world. But you have to realize that even though this is prophetic, and it does point to Christ, there, there's also sort of the way that it was interpreted by the people of the ancient Near East. They're talking about the city of Jerusalem, God's covenant people dwelling in the Holy Land. And there's this idea of uh, light and dark. There's this idea that the, the nations around are in darkness and the light is shining in the midst of the holy city on the hill. And the author here, Isaiah, is saying that we should arise and shine for our light has come. Now, that was written to the people in Jerusalem, but that's also prophetically spoken to us as God's people as well. So this idea or this theme of, of dark and light is sort of what I want to focus on today. We, we see light and dark motifs all throughout this book. It doesn't just pop up for the first time in Isaiah chapter 60. There's Old Testament and New Testament references. There's prophecy references. There's the, the idea of light and dark is used by Jesus himself. It's used by the apostles in their teachings. It's been used by the church for hundreds and thousands of years. We see Christmas being a time where light and dark themes are very prevalent, right? We've been, uh, the night before Christmas is when we celebrate with a candlelight service where we dim the lights and we allow the light of the candle to shine. We light candles like the Christ candle to remind us that the light of Christ shines into the darkness of this world. We, we remember that there are many different ways in which Christmas and dark and light are associated with one another. Even in the secular world, when you drive home in the middle of uh, the night, you'll notice that there's Christmas lights on people's homes. And that reminds us of this light of Christmas. We rem we're reminded even in New Year's of this idea of the light and dark motif. You might have had or heard, if you were asleep, if you were awake, you might see the fireworks that go off and the, the lights shining in the middle of the dark night to remind us of the hope that we have into the new year. And there's this idea of dark and light even in the Epiphany, which we're celebrating today. This idea that the light of Christ, the light is in the world now. But this idea of light and dark is not restricted just to Christmas. Actually, you don't have to go very far in your Bible before you run into this idea. In Genesis chapter 1, 
We don't even get more than three sentences in before we run into this light and dark motif. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So before anything came into being, the status quo, the the way things were before anything was spoken into existence was darkness. Darkness is kind of the default setting for things. When nothing's happening, when there's no movement, there's no innovation, there's no life, there's no solid liquid gas, there's no anything, no energy, no nothing, it's darkness. And it's formless, and it's void. But God enters into the equation with the first gift that he ever gives the first blessing he ever bestows on creation, the first words he ever speaks. God said, let there be light. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. He created a barrier line right between them and said, light's over here, dark's over here. And he called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. From the very beginning, this light and dark motif comes into our view. And we see the importance of the, the use of light and dark in the physical sense, but also in a sense which kind of supersedes just the physical light that we see. We know that light is something that comes from the sky. It comes from the sun. It comes from the moon and the stars. We know that we have created fluorescent bulbs and incandescent bulbs that we can see light being produced by electricity. We know that light comes from fire, from candles, from, from a, you know, a campfire. We know that light exists through mediums. It comes to us through things. Light doesn't simply just exist out there, except for the fact that it It does. It only doesn't exist out there physically. But we know that there is an aspect to light which is beyond just the physical nature of it, our ability to perceive it with our eyes. We know that there's a spiritual aspect to light as well. We know that there is an illumination which goes beyond simply what our physical meat eyes can see to what our heart can have revealed to us by the light of God. Light is bigger here than simply rays of, of energy that come into our eyes. There's something more to it than that. And we sense that in the very beginning of God's creation. Jesus actually has words to say about light. In John chapter 3, you might know John 3.16, the gospel in the nutshell. Well, just a little bit later in that conversation that he has with Nicodemus, Jesus is speaking and says these words in verse 19. He says, after discussing all of these things, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And this takes us back to Genesis also, but not Genesis chapter 1. Because God's gift of light, 
was the first of many gifts. He gave many, many more gifts to mankind, including our own creation. And he gives us life. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. And we took all of this beauty, this, this superseding light of God, and we said, you know what? I don't think I really want that. And we threw it in the trash. We saw a piece of fruit that said, I could probably eat that and be just like God. Maybe I could have a light which, instead of being a light which reflects off me from God, maybe I can create my own light. And so we took the fruit and we ate of it, seeking to become wise, seeking to have the knowledge of good and evil, seeking to be like God, to manifest light from within ourselves. And indeed, the exact opposite happened. Instead of producing our own light, we were cut off from the light of God. We became dark in our sin and in our shame. And what happened? Well, Adam and Eve, when they looked at themselves in the harsh light of God, they didn't see a thing that reflected God's beauty and light to the world. They saw a thing which was corrupted in its sin and its shame. They saw themselves in all of their horrifying glory, all of their their utter dismay and sin, and they said, I am ugly, and I'm naked, and I'm ashamed, and I'm sinful. And so they tried their best to get out of the light. They tried to find a corner to cower in. They ran into the forest where they could find shelter from the light. They, They tried to cover themselves up so that the light would not touch their skin as best they could. They tried to hide from God, and even though we know that that's not something that you can do, they thought maybe they could, because they were ashamed of their sin. And so this is what Jesus says, too. Jesus points to the Garden of Eden after the fall and says that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. We still, today, like our forefathers and foreparents, Adam and Eve, but before us, we, we try to say, ah, I like my own light, not God's light. But we, because of that, end up loving the darkness instead of the light because our deeds are evil. Jesus says, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And just like Adam and Eve before us, we, feel, we fear that the true nature of our lives the sinfulness within our own hearts, the corruption because of sin that we all endure. We're afraid that if we step into the light, the true light of Christ, we'll be exposed for the corruption, for, for the corruption which we all bear. And this is where Jesus calls us to something greater. He doesn't leave us hungering for darkness. He doesn't leave us trying to cower in the shadowy places. Instead, he continues this way. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. And so he invites those who follow him, those who seek truth, to step into the light. Instead of cowering because of our shame and sin and looking for the shadows to try and hide away from the ugliness which the light reveals, Jesus invites us instead to boldly step into the light and confess the shame and the sin which we have. 
And we've all done that today. When we began our service with confession, we said, I confess unto God and I confess here in the public place in front of all of these other believers that I am a poor, miserable sinner and that I need a Savior. I need the light, even though the light shows me my imperfections. And when we do that, we confess all of our imperfections. We confess the shame of our, of our dark lives. And Christ's light shines then through us. It drives out the darkness of our lives. It removes the corruption and the imperfections so that the only thing seen there is his perfection in its place. And so the light of Christ drives out the darkness when we step into it and confront through repentance our own sin and shame and ask for his forgiveness. This is Jesus' beautiful message to you and to me about what the light is. The light is not something which originates within us, but yet it is something that we are called to carry. And this is true in Isaiah chapter 60 as well. In Isaiah 60, it talks about this light in the city of Jerusalem, this light in the midst of the people of God, but yet the light is not the people themselves. He says, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and it is the glory of the Lord that rises upon you. The glory of God is Jesus Christ who comes in the flesh, into the midst, into the dwelling place of his people. He walks among us. He's born on Christmas Day. He grows to be a man, and then he dies upon the cross, and he rises again to new life as a man, true God and true man. And because of that, that light which is in our midst, we are called then to arise and shine, not of our own light, but because the light of Christ is in our midst. We are called to be like the moon, reflecting the light of the sun, the S-U-N. We are those who are called to reflect the light of the S-O-N, the sun. And so when we are called by God to arise and shine, for our light has come, it's like a story I can tell you about my son, Wyatt. He's been having some nightmares recently. We kind of think it's because he's had some crazy active days around Christmas and his, his mind is not quite wound down enough when we put him to bed. And so he'll wake up and he'll cry out for mom and dad and we think it's because of the dark. So we, we put a nightlight in the room and that seemed to help for a few days. He started being more comfortable. He could kind of get his surroundings when he woke up in the middle of the night and he could put himself back down to bed. But we noticed that with the nightlight, it was helping to get him, uh, to keep him in bed in the middle of the night, but we found that when we were putting him down for bed, he was starting to have some, some unease in that process, wanting to be held longer and things like that. And we noticed that he would look over our shoulder up into the corner. And in the corner, there was this space where the window uh, sill kind of sticks out a little bit. And the, the, if you imagine the the, the uh, window frame is up there, and we have uh, the nightlight plugged into the wall, and it shines upward, and it casts this, like, kind of scary claw-looking thing up on the ceiling. It's a shadow. And mom and dad, of course, don't even notice it, because we know it's just a shadow, but for him, it's this scary monster thing reaching out, trying to get him, I think. And so what we did is we, we explained to him, that's ah, just a shadow, no need to be worried, nothing to worry about, it's okay. And, you know, that you can only, you know, tell a not-quite-two-year-old that so long. So what we did is 
I went in and I got my phone and I, and I fired up my flashlight and I shined it right where the darkness was. And when I did that, he was able to see that there was nothing there. It was simply a shadow. And I shined the light on his hand and showed him how his hand made a shadow also. And that worked for that night. We had to do it again the next night and the next night. But eventually, I think he'll learn there's nothing to fear in the shadow. And so what, the reason I'm saying this is we live in a world that is darkness, full of darkness. But we have a great light in the midst of that darkness, sort of like a nightlight in a darkened room. But there are still lingering effects of the darkness of sin all around us. There's still great shadows cast against a wall. And the best thing we can do as those who arise and shine for the light of Christ has come is we take the light that we can shine from Christ and we take it into those dark spaces. We take it into those shadowy corners where wickedness and evil likes to reside. And we take it into the places where there is shame and sin in this world and we shine the light of Christ brightly and drive out the darkness and the wickedness that's found there. I think that's the call of Christians. That's what we do. We take the light of Christ and we reflect it into this world of darkness so that others might see the truth of his light. So that others might know his salvation. Others might see for the first time the revelation of that light. Isaiah chapter 60 talks about how we as the people of God are the ones to whom the entirety of the the world in darkness are drawn to. They want to see this light like a moth drawn towards the flame. They want to know what it's about. And that's where the magi come in. They are ones who are the first of of the nations who inquire about this light that has come into the world. They see the star and they know that it's a a herald for the coming king. And so they go and they find the king and they worship him. And so we too, like the the Magi, are mostly descended from, from Gentile people. We have come to know the light of Christ by it being shared with us, by others who have who have been a reflector, who have borne the light of Christ into darkened places. And so we are called too as his people to do the same for others. Because that light is the only source of light. That light of Christ is the only light in this dark world. It is reflected by many, but it is the only source. We know that that light is the only hope for mankind. It is the only hope for the next generation. It's the only hope for our kids, for our grandkids. It's our only hope for those who are living in faraway places who have never heard of the good news of Jesus. It is the only hope for you and me sitting here today. The light of Christ is the only hope for us all. And so we are called to carry it out. We are called to shine and reflect Christ's light to a darkened world. And that's what it means to be Christ's people, to to bear the light of Christ and share it with those in darkness. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the light of Christ. Your great gift of light has been given, and it is continually given every day as we reflect that light. Help us to know that we are joining a good work, that we are helping to bring illumination to a darkened world, that we are helping others to know the truth, that the truth might set them free. We pray that you would continue to guide us and keep us and show us the way to reflect your light into this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.
Amen.